And I kind of like got into soccer like a second time because of the fans and learning about Liverpool supporters and who they were and what the club means to the city and how it's working class and how everyone's always trying to knock them down and say, you're going to steal their, their wallets or you're going to steal hubcaps and things like that. And that, I kind of identified with that. And um, I kind of like love the fight and spirit and the identity and what the team means to the city is like more important than anything else. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Origin Stories. I'm Darius, not Andrew today. It's a little bit of a different one. We have a new guest. Now, normally we have someone from the local OLSC Tampa Bay. And uh, we reached over to the state of Texas, went to Austin, and we found a New Yorker who's been in Texas, who's actually not even in the United States right now. We go across the pond to the Netherlands and we find Imani Williams. Imani, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, like I was born in New York. I was raised in Connecticut. You know, I've been all over the world and supporting Liverpool doing it's the best feeling. Well, Amani, I mean, there's so many different things that we're going to get to, but I first want to kind of start with uh, an interview that you had going back to the summer. And obviously for any American, really anyone across the world who's been paying attention, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd protests, all these things kind of culminated in a summer of a lot of conversations. So you had the opportunity as a black woman to speak to an audience that's predominantly white men with the Anfield rep speaking about just everything that's happened over the course of, I mean, 400 plus years. You, 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 you got a lot into that conversation. Uh, so I do want to point that out. So anyone who has not seen Imani Williams interview yet with the Anfield rep, after you watch the rest of this interview, you're going to go to YouTube, you can pull it up, cup of tea, Google, Imani Williams, Anfield Rap. That'll be the first thing that comes up. But just just on that, Imani, this was right in the middle of the summer. So it's obviously in the heat of the moment. I mean, how nervous were you or, or how ready to go? How fired up were you going into that conversation? Well, it was crazy. Like, so this is all happening while I'm basically like a Corona refugee, like overseas. But basically like th this is happening and you have to keep in mind that Black Lives Matter started as like an American thing and went global and it means something different in every single country you go to. And like some countries have more of an extensive history with slavery, some don't, some have acknowledged their history. Like the Netherlands has apologized for slavery, which is something that the US has never done. Like 75% uh, of global slave trade once went through Liverpool, which is an interesting statistic, but they have the International Slavery Museum there. They're not afraid to acknowledge how terrible it was. And like people aren't gonna get offended when people talk about it. They're, you know, they're talking about like, if we change the street names, we, if we do it, that's the right thing to do. If we don't do it, we better have an addendum to what we teach kids in school to talk about who these people are, these streets are actually named and what they actually did and where the money came from and all that. So like getting into that conversation was really just about what Black Lives Matter was about. Like, um, and I think also like, the idea of being in like mortal danger isn't something that like uh, a lot of like black people in Europe have to experience, especially in Western Europe. Eastern Europe is different. Russia is different. But like you don't have to worry about the police killing you in like in, in Western Europe. So, yeah, that that conversation was really great. I, I definitely suggest um people go check it out. You can listen to it on Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatever. We, we talk, yeah, we talk about like 400 years of history. 
Um, but I really felt like a responsibility to kind of explain to people what was going on and what was happening and that this wasn't just a fluke and this isn't like an attention seeking thing. This is like our police officers who are supposed to protect us are killing us. And like, it's gotten so common that people just don't bat an eyelash. Whereas like, if the police kill anyone in this part of the world, everyone riots. Like people, people get really, really angry about their rights being infringed upon. And, and we talked a little bit like about like, you know, even we went into like tenant farming, fiefdoms, all sorts of stuff. What I mean, you, you broke it down connecting the dots in a way that I don't think too many <laughs> yeah. people really are able to do in a short conversation where it's like, <laughs> you're pointing out 400 years of history and then you're saying, well, this is how this affects this and this is how that affects that. And this is how it's all related. And oh, by the way, similar things were happening in the States to this group of people and similar things were happening in Europe to this group of people. And I don't think too many people look at it that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I think like I said in the interview that like going into like Irish pubs and speaking to like Irish people and English people, people from Europe and learning about their history and learning about like white people hating each other for the first time as like a young black kid in America, like learning about white people hating each other. And it's like not a direct religious thing. Like you could do like Catholic and Protestant and all that kind of stuff. But like you can't look at someone and be like, you're Catholic, you're Protestant, you know, and it's not wasn't quite like Judaism and then Jewish people have had it hard. I think they've like been expelled like 19 different times in history like something ridiculous like that they basically had to hide everywhere they've gone but like yeah people are from the same place they have the same god they have the same like a lot of it they have the same king or whatever but like I was like why do you guys still hate each other like people within England hating each other I just didn't get it so um having the historical reference realizing about how much of that history does go back to like you know trades and, and labors and and different lordships and all sorts of stuff and then the stigmas that society creates in itself to keep it running like everybody's got to have a boogeyman but uh, I liked uh, Liverpool one of the reasons I like Liverpool so much is that they've kind of like been a thorn in the side of the rest of the UK's sort of establishment uh, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, you brought the historical receipt. So again, go check out that conversation. It was really well done by Amani. But Amani, we got you here to, to get you on some other thoughts and more about your background and your history. So uh, starting kind of like pivoting off of, of, of that, when we think of soccer in the US, a lot of times we think of a sport that is predominantly white, suburban, that's kind of the way that we've experienced it. But at least for me, watching the national teams of France, Brazil growing up, seeing a lot of those black players for them, we got to kind of get a different taste uh, of what soccer and football really is. So for you, what got you into the beautiful game? Well, when I was really young, I played soccer uh, when I was really young. And I think I got to that point where I was like nine or 10 years old, where they start travel. At that point, I was living in Connecticut and I just didn't even ask my mom. Like my mom was a single mom. My parents were divorced. My dad was awesome, but we didn't live together. So like adding that pressure to my mom to somehow get me to these travel practices. And like, I wasn't that good. And I wasn't like totally obsessed. This is exactly what I want to do with my life. And I'm going to go be beyond scary and like all that kind of stuff. Like it wasn't like that. So I didn't even ask my mom because the game was like inaccessible at that point at the level. So I just stuck with things that were like closer to home. So I did a lot of martial arts in high school. I played like field hockey and stuff. Again, all the girls who were playing soccer in high school also played year round. They played premier, they played travel soccer and it just wasn't in for it for me. So I feel like my real soccer story started after the 2002 World Cup because I kept looking in the stands and everyone was having such a good time. And I was like, 
I think this game to watch is really boring. Like I didn't, I was like, what, why are people so excited? Like, again, it's like two or three a.m. I'm, I'm not supposed to be awake. I'm like, I'm just like, these people are partying, they're going nuts. And I'm like, what's going on here? I was like, I've missed something. And my dad was a big sports guy. He was a big, big sports fan. And I always loved athletics. I mean, I grew up on UConn basketball, women and men, like crushing it, especially the girls team. Like it was just unreal watching. Like I had amazing role models. Like, yeah, like Sue Bird and Megan Rapino getting married is like amazing for me. Like, it's I'm like a dream like, combo. You're just like, yeah, I idolize awesome. both of them. <laughs> yeah, literally idolized them like the two of them since I was like seven years yeah. old, six, seven years old. Yeah. So like, yeah, so it was absolutely insane in terms of that. But uh, for Liverpool, got into it after 2002 World Cup, started paying attention to football more. It wasn't really accessible, right? It wasn't accessible that much. You had to pay that like really expensive cable package, which like my mom was not doing. I could only watch soccer at my dad's house when I went to go visit. Um, there wasn't like, I don't think Liverpool even had a shop on their website until like 2005 or 2006 or something like that. Like we won the Champions League and I don't think there was a shop on the website. So it wasn't accessible. There was no like LFC TV type stuff uh, that you could just go online and check out the games. There was no like NBC Sports, like you had Satanta, you had to get cable packaging. Uh, so I literally would go like, Let's see. So 2003, 2004, I start getting into Liverpool. They're the first team I ever saw beat Manchester United because, again, that super expensive cable package thing. Uh, my mom wasn't paying for it. And, like, as the years go on, I mean, you couldn't really talk about the game. If you if you said, oh, I like soccer, people would just start laughing at you. So I kind of, like, kept it like a secret. Like, it was something that, like, I kind of, like, I kind of was into, but, like, I kept it a secret because even the kids playing, like, the kids playing couldn't name five Premier League clubs. So we're, like, at that point in, in U.S. soccer history where the kids playing travel and premier aren't watching the Premier League. They're not watching, like, the top level of the game, which just wasn't there. It wasn't accessible to most kids and most people. And most parents, if they're paying for premier, they probably can't afford $300 for cable, right? Because if there is $300 cable packages for that, it was unreal back then. Um, so yeah, started supporting Liverpool after I saw them beat Man United. I'd never seen a team beat Man United before. I think we talked about that in the other podcast a bit mm -hmm. because of all the, the TV rights and everything like that going on. And I kind of like got into soccer like a second time because of the fans and learning about Liverpool supporters and who they were and what the club means to the city and how it's working class and how everyone's always trying to knock them down and say, you're going to steal their, their wallets or you're going to steal hubcaps and things like that. And that, I kind of identified with that. And um, I kind of like love the fight and spirit and the identity and what the team means to the city is like more important than anything else. It's what the club means to the city. And I think, um, for a lot of new Liverpool supporters, especially the last 10 years since uh, FSG has taken over, since Liverpool has been touring more, um, a lot of like Americans get into Liverpool and I think they think they know what it is, but like you, you, you have to really dive deep because it's not, it's a club, it's not a franchise and there's like a, a very distinct difference culturally, but I think once people tap into that, everything makes sense. Yeah, and I, I love what you said on the other part of it too, on, on the other um, conversation you had with the Anfield Rap, because you pointed out specifically, yeah, it was kind of being anti-Manchester United that got me into the club. Like, <laughs> I, I can totally relate to that because growing up in Tampa, even though I wasn't a Bucks fan, the Glazers owning the Bucks, there was a lot of resentment toward the Glazers. And I think that made a number of Liverpool <laughs> fans in the area. Just because we're looking at the Glazers, like, we don't like those dudes. Oh, wait, who hates yeah. them? Oh, Liverpool, y'all hate them too? 
dope. We're gonna yeah. you know join up on that. But um, but I, I do want to stick on what this the team means to the city because I do think that that is a very strong connection that a lot of even new fans come into when you learn about Hillsboro, when you learn about the 96, when you learn about what the Scouts culture really is and, and how they fight against oppression within England. And I think that was a big connection for a lot of the new fans when they kind of found out that it was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's definitely the reason why I need to be a Liverpool fan. But, but how much of that did really factor in for you when you learned about just the ethos of not just the team, but the city and then how it kind of correlates. It was absolutely huge for me. Like if you go back and look at photos and video of Liverpool in like the eighties, it looks like, you know, a bomb went off. It literally looks like the rubble from like world war two or whatever it is. It's dilapidated. It's negligent. It was part of their managed decline, which is that famous Margaret Thatcher letter that they said, okay, after they built the canal, uh, well, that's the reason why Liverpool and Manchester United hate each other is because they built the canal uh, and basically allowed ships to bypass Liverpool and go right into Manchester. And it took a lot of the jobs and a lot of the work away and a lot of the business that was helping Liverpool thrive ended up leaving. Um, but like the government basically tried to destroy the city. And at that time, like in that 70s and 80s era where everything's crumbling, Liverpool were their best because it was literally all the people had. For young people in the city, it was like 80% unemployment, like 80% young people unemployed because there just wasn't any work. And like people had to leave the places where their families had been for hundreds of years because like the government specifically just didn't want to provide jobs, didn't want to provide better housing, et cetera, et cetera. And actually the European Union saved the city. I think they pumped like 50 million into Liverpool from the EU. So that's another reason uh, why Liverpool region tends to be a big remain region. But um, New York in the 70s and 80s and like Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, like they, it was just dilapidated. Like everyone was setting things on fire for the insurance money. Like be, like a good show for that for popular culture is the Get Down on Netflix. Um, that's actually really, really accurate about what it was like back then. Like at that point in New York City, like uh, the Warriors, like people talking about that movie because it was like that. It was just basically a bunch of like kids running around with nowhere to go and nothing to do and no work and no jobs and things like that. So at that point in time, like Liverpool meant everything to people because it was something that they could be proud of. People were trying to tell them not to be proud of their city. They were like, you know, you guys are scum. You, you're, you're bin dippers, meaning like you, you uh, shop in the trash. Basically, you have to go, you know, people people make fun of them. Bin dippers, you know, steal a wall, steal a hubcaps. Like people making fun of like scouts, like, you know, people like it's a very like poor man's soup, as you say. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just... Uh, that resonated with me, people judging an entire city or group of people because of their accents, like Liverpool, Liverpoolians have like very distinct accents and like people always like give them crap that they can't understand them in the UK. Um, so I understand that people saying like, oh, I'm going to judge you based on the way you talk, the way you sound is like a, an African-American from the States. That makes perfect sense to me. That resonates so much. People judging you the way you look, the way you sound, like yeah, how you talk, your mannerisms, things like that. Um, I, that kind of spoke to me a lot. And between the passion of the team, having what it meant for the city, what it kind of like I could relate to. And then also like, yeah, at the time, this is like 2004, this is like 2003, 2004. I needed to pick a team that I could actually watch because if you weren't one of those top four teams then you weren't, they weren't gonna show you. You're, you're not getting Sheffield United versus like West Brom or something like that. Like, it's just not gonna happen like back then. So I, I like, even it was between Liverpool and Spurs actually. 
And I went with Liverpool. And I think one of the reasons I did was because like, I, I knew I could never really watch Spurs. Like, you know, I, I couldn't watch them. I wasn't a glory hunter because like being from the Northeast United States, we, we won a lot of trophies. Like I grew up a mm-hmm. Yankees fan. So like we were winning everything when I was a kid. Between the, like Connecticut people have weird sports teams. It's always like, you can always it's, tell It's in between New York and Boston. So it's like. Yeah. And then you get like Philly. And then you get like, I have a friend who's like a Knicks fan. He, he likes pain. I have a friend who likes pain. He's, he's a Knicks fan a Penguins fan, a Bills fan, Ooh. and red, he's got his Red Sox. And is he is he Bruins? Maybe Bruins or Islanders? Oof. I don't know, but he, dude dude loves pain. <laughs> but, like, he's also a Liverpool fan. I think that's – he, he wanted a team that was going to win a little bit, I guess. But, uh, yeah, Connecticut people in our weird sports teams. But I had the Yankees and the Patriots going as a kid, and that, that was the best. And you, and you walk in class, and, like, half a class are hardcore Giants fans, so it makes it even better. Uh, but, yeah, love Liverpool, love the city, love the attitude of people, working class, really kind. And, and like, if you go there, they're, they're the nicest people because their government tried to starve them. <laughs> like, it's documented that their own government tried to starve them as, like, an actual policy. Um, and, and again, like, if you're looking at history and you're going, like, wait a minute, you guys have the same government, same God. Like, this is one of the oldest cities in the UK. This has been an economic hub for a thousand years, right? Like, what's what's going on here? So like realizing that kind of dynamic behind discrimination and, and who does it and why they do it and all that sorts of thing. And that was really, really helpful for me. Um, kind of understanding the world from like a different perspective and like even like, you know, Irish history, what the English did to the Irish and like how they totally suppressed and tried to erase their entire culture. And like Celtic culture is like 5,000 years old, something like that. And, and when you see that, you can see how that kind of dynamic was exported to the rest of the world. And we've all suffered because of it. And we've all been like on this really long journey to recover from that. Because one of the reasons why people hate Liverpool in England is because they're Irish. They're, they call like um, Liverpool and Dublin the twin cities. Like there's there's a whole thing about being like Irish and Scouse and everything like that. And um, so it was really easy for for the UK to kind of like discriminate against Liverpool because the Irish connection. Uh, But I think it's just something that makes them even more proud there. And I kind of that pride, that ability to mobilize as a community to like, you know, make the changes that they want happen. It's something that I've admired because like they've all been able to stick together. It's probably easier when you have more rights and it's easier when you when you're kind of like in what is like an ancestral home, you know, things like that. Like Liverpool's been around for hundreds of years. But like if I could take anything home, especially to the black community, it'd be like, look at how these people organize, look at how they stick together. Like during like 1980s in the UK, sorry for like monologuing here. I'm no, gonna like good. get this point like uh over, but like in, in the 1980s in the UK, there was the minor strike, which a lot of people again like don't know about. So the minor strike in the 80s basically like was more Tory Thatcherism government. There's a reason why Margaret Thatcher, when she died, people were literally celebrating in the streets because she tried to starve their parents parents and start their grandparents if you're wondering why all the food in the uk is brown and why people think chip buddies are a sandwich literally just butter bread and french fries it's because people were literally trying to starve to death and they were just trying to get through the best they could so of course they think ketchup is an actual like sauce for a sandwich (laughs) it only goes on burgers and hot dogs people (laughs) other other, i veto ketchup as a a condiment for other sandwiches besides hamburgers and hot dogs like imagine putting that on a cuban y'all are from tampa right oh yeah no people lose their mind people lose their mind yeah just like oh no none of that (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, they basically just tried to starve their own people and um, people didn't have much, but what they did have was a football. And when everybody's telling you not to be proud about something, it's kind of amazing for them to be going all over Europe being like, we are Liverpool, we're Scouts and we're gonna have the best time ever. And um, everywhere they go, everybody loves them. They don't have the problems that Chelsea fans have. They don't have problems that United fans have or England fans have. Nobody's fighting the streets. Like, like there's no other club on the planet after we had that really long Champions League absence from like 2010 to like 2014, basically, uh, you know, Real Madrid fans held up a sign. You can Google that. It just says like, you know, welcome back Liverpool fans, like welcome mm-hmm. back to the Champions League. And, and for Real Madrid fans to kind of recognize sort of like their own class of, of supporters and just be like, hey, welcome back, guys. You missed you. I think Dortmund was the same wow. where they were like, welcome back, Liverpool. Like a lot of people were happy to see us because like, you know, we're a quality club, quality people. And uh, you can learn a lot from Liverpool supporters, even just how to act uh, be respectful. You can have a good time, drink a lot, party, and not have to ruin everything. Um, it, it, it's an absolute riot. So I, I've enjoyed every every second of being a Liverpool supporter. I think it it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, really, besides that and American Outlaws. And I, I just I always love hearing Scousers talk about Liverpool and just their pride in it, where they talk about, I think, what is it, the, the People's Republic of Liverpool? It's kind of like yeah. how they talk about it, like, we are our own entity. Like, you absolutely, yeah. you just, you, you got to love it. Now, yeah. for the football this season, uh, Imani, it, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been what we were expecting, has it? So, yeah. like, coming for me, coming into this season, I was ready to go, already planning out, like, the end of the year goals montage set to back-to-back by Drake. Like, I'm, I'm like, fired up coming into the season. But the injury bug, bad luck, underperforming, VAR, the universe, everything conspiring against Liverpool, it feels like this year. It, it hasn't been what I don't think anyone has expected, but how have you experienced this season? I mean, this year has been like really tough for so many reasons. Obviously there's COVID um, for the team. It's been tough because they're going to go through a period where they're going to basically play football nonstop for two years, two, two and a half years, nonstop and get like two months off maybe. Um, and then we've got the, the world cup coming like uh, winter 2020. Mm-hmm too so it's like it's it's not going to stop really because they're going to have to fix the schedules they're probably going to end up playing through summer something's going to occur i don't think they even want to tell people what it is because there's too much panic in the world already uh the firestorm would probably uh set off but i mean i don't know i thought the same as you i was like we're gonna do the double next year i was like i was i said like if we stay fit because i always like if we stay like what do you think what do you think you did knock on wood did you i don't know i Okay, like literally I was like, if we stay fit, we're gonna do the Uh, double. And I knew it and I was like, okay. And then like, yeah, it was just, it's hard when like you have a major injury to a starting player and then their backup gets injured and then the backup's backup gets injured. And like, yeah, we were either playing kids or playing people out of position. And and it's been like a disaster uh, in so many ways. Um, Not having the supporters there. People are like, Fortress Anfield's gone. Because like, yeah, like the supporters are a huge part of it. Like it's really easy. Like it's, it's considerable. It's not really easy, but it's considerably easier to organize a defense against the best attack in the world. Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, 
when you can actually hear each other. You can talk. Right? You can communicate you can on talk. defense. Yeah, we can hear each totally, other. Yeah, they yeah. can actually talk. You don't have to do it in front of the cop band and everyone's trying to like suck in and go and it's like you screaming and yelling. You can, mm -hmm. like that electricity and through like shakes. It's like a little bit of an old ground. It's just a little bit of an old ground, right? Mm -hmm. It literally just shakes. You feel like people are on top of you. There's no like track around the stadium and things like that. So like not having that factor, um, is, is pretty huge in terms of performances. We've benefited from that as well. I think we should be way worse off. I think, have we had 18 or is it 20? Are we, are we at 20 center back partnerships for year? Might be Ooh, 19. Currently it's at 18. And if, it might be 19 after the last game. Yeah, yeah this is this is before the Chelsea game that we're recording this. So if Fabinho and Kabak go out there, that'd be 19. Yeah, so like, I mean, 19 different center back partnerships. Like the fact that we're even holding on is a freaking miracle. Yeah. But um, again, we probably would have had like a lot more difficulty with our 18 year old goalkeeper and like, you know, our kids playing center back if we had to do with crowds. I think it would have been a lot worse. Um, at the same time, though, not having that full strength squad, um, having Jordan Henderson be injured again, he's starting to pick up Gerard injuries, whereas like, you know, constant little niggles, like literally just out for two, three months, a, a month at a time two months at a time at kind of this point in his career doesn't look good. I said, I had an interview with uh, the guys over at LFC Delaware and they were like, what do you expect for the season? This is like early December. And I was like, I just want to get out of here. Top four, no more career altering injuries. I don't want anybody else's career affected by this crazy COVID world. Like if we could just get out of here um, at this point, we just, I mean, we played Sheffield United and we had to work hard to win. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, we had to work really, really hard to win that game. And um, we've been talking a lot and we have to get, we have to beat Chelsea, obviously. We don't really have any room for many mistakes. I mean, people are like, what do you think? Who's going to be in the title race? I'm like, I think it's going to be like a six-way title race, maybe. Like City's pulling away with it now, but like literally the spots two through six basically could go to anyone at this point. Uh, I mean, freaking West Ham is up there. Like, that's how nuts to see David Moyes is having his time. He's been waiting for this. Like, he's been waiting for this. Brendan Rodgers, Brendan Rodgers is up there. Like, you know, it's kind of like all these uh, class managers are going for it. Um, Everton, obviously, with Carlo Ancelotti. I was like, I was like, don't sleep on Everton. just because. Aston Villa, they're right still now. not out of it. Like, they can go yeah. on a run, too, any of them. Grealish is injured, though. That's a, that's a that's, big, that is, big loss yeah. for them. That's a huge loss for them. Uh, but... Basically for us, we need some consistency. We've got to get our best players playing back in the position that they're meant to play. Uh, I'm playing Fabinho at defensive midfield uh, versus Chelsea if he's fit. If he's fit to play, um, if he's gonna. If you're gonna play him, play him in like the first 60 minutes. Uh, if, if he's gonna play, I don't like bringing players on for like a half hour at the end of the game. Let him settle. Uh, so give him like if he if he's fit, yeah, give him like 60 minutes in defensive midfield. We need to kind of take control of the midfield. I think the last game versus Sheffield United, you can kind of like see Tiago not being very tall and how that would like affect him in the Premier League. He just got like pretty much sandwiched a couple times. It's just like boom, he's cut open his head already. Like welcome to the Premier League, like bleeding all the time. Like oh yeah. Um, First match he starts is the one where Charleston takes out his leg. So, yeah, like welcome <laughs> to the Premier League, that sort yeah. of thing. So, um, we we have a lot of work to do, uh, and I think if if we, I mean, I was at the point where I was like, I'm ready to change this formation, and people are like, What do you mean? I'm like, Well, 
we don't have the same team that we had the last two seasons that won the Champions League in the Premier League, do we? <laughs> like, we don't have that team right now. So, like, we're trying to, like, operate in this, you know, 4-3-3, and which has become the most predictable formation in football for us because we do a lot of attacking with our wing backs. So, you know the ball's going to Robertson. You know the ball's going to Trent Alexander. And we're playing it in from the wings. We're not really playing as much direct football. And teams prepare for that. They overload the box. They sit back. And it's really hard for us to break them down, not to mention, like, it gets really physical every time, you know, um, Trent's playing a ball into Mo, like, and he's got to go up and there's three defenders around him and they're just, like, basically, like, smashing around. It's just, like, ping around like a pinball in there. Like, it's just unreal. Um, but I think, like, maybe if we switch it up, but who knows? Like, we could go on a run right here. I mean, if, again, if we lose if we lose to Chelsea, people are panicking again. If we lose no, any of the next three games, people are, like, panicking again because we, we just can't we can't afford to drop points. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I, I say, like, for me, I'm, like, maybe change the formation to something that's a little bit more familiar or, like, um, pull either Trent or Robbo back instead of them both bombing forward and putting extra pressure on, on those center back partnerships, extra pressure on the spine. Cause remember whenever Trent or Robbo bomb forward, that means one of our defensive midfielders have to drop back to cover. Right. And then I'll make our new center backs anxious, right. Cause they're new and, and they can barely talk to each other. So like, we kind of like don't want to put too much pressure, especially like uh, with teams like Chelsea that have enough speed to potentially exploit those, those gaps. Sheffield United, we didn't really have to worry about that as much, but like against a decent side, we could still have a lot of problems and, and you have to wonder like, are we doing the right thing for the personnel that we have? Like, are we trying to play yeah. and fit these guys into a system or are we working yeah. around them? Is it the kind system feels or more play the it game by game? Yeah, yeah. you're right. Like, do, like, it's time to, like, almost play game by game, manage every single game as an each individual thing until the end of the season. Because, like, the system is so important at Klopp, especially with Kirby and everything that's happened, uh, you know, moving from Melwood. And he wants everyone from, like, you know, the, the under – nines we play in the same system all the way up kind of like what Barcelona has done and had a lot of success and Dortmund does the same thing and they have a lot of success so you kind of wanted to do the same thing at Liverpool so changing that system after after having all the books come out and like believe us by Melissa Reddy and all that stuff come out and then changing it it's kind of like a, a no but at this point uh, we we have become very predictable there's no more hiding in football with data analytics. You know, everybody's always checking out the analytics. You can't hide anymore. All Premier League clubs, I think last year, two years ago, they made it so that every single club has access to data analytics. So no club is like left out of it. There's no more hiding uh, teams adjust. And, and I'm not sure if we're ever going to see a Fergie. Are we ever going to see an Arsene Wenger? Are we ever going to see like a, a Shankly or Paisley? That, that is able to kind of go out and beat teams for 20 years, 10, 15, 20 years. And, and I'm not sure if we will ever see that again, just because analytics don't, you can't hide anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's what I think. I'm hoping we get yeah. the top four and recover. Yeah, but even coming into this season, because you look up the way up over at Manchester and you look right past the red side and you look at City. I think a lot of Liverpool fans coming into the year were looking at it like, okay, we got to be that. We, that's what we got to be. And, of course, you see them at the top of the table yet again. So there's been a lot of, uh, oh, well, need to go and sign top talent and go and get new players and change the system. All, all that kind of talk has kind of been happening even before this. But, I mean, Amani, when we look back at the last couple of years, last three years, go to a Champions League final, go back to the Champions League, win a final, 
you come within one point of that all-conquering city side. Then you turn around, win the league a year later, 196 points across a couple of seasons. I mean, we've been pretty damn spoiled over the last few years, haven't we? Yeah, we definitely have. Like, anybody freaking out about, like, who we're going to sign. People saying we're going to sign Messi or, like, oh, it'll be mad if we don't sign Messi. Like, get out of here. Come on now. That's not who we are. And if you think Messi is, like, a Liverpool player, then you've got to, you know, research, do, do a little bit more history there. Because, like, Messi is just not a Liverpool player in terms of, like, dressing room and changing room drama and all that kind of stuff. Like, we're not we're not that type of club. Um but, I mean, we need to sign quality center backs. Unfortunately, in the last transfer window, uh, a lot of clubs are hurting for cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means, like, they want to protect their position. They don't want to risk going down and making a sales. Like, Shaka was already in bad shape. So what's losing another player? They're already struggling a lot, which is a really, really sad because Shaka is, like, a very historic club, and, and their fans have always been well-known throughout the world. Um, so it's really sucks for them. But like anybody who's good enough to play for us and start for us right away and like be like starting like every single game, uh, they've already got a job to do with their own club. Right. They're not mm-hmm. going to give them up uh, financially again. Like, do, do we have any money? No, that's why we had to get rid of Minamino. We pretty much got rid of Minamino and his wage bill, his wage bill to make room for Kavak and Ben Davies, which is like unreal. But but it is what it is, you know, Um and yeah, it's just been really tough. Like, um, and I think it'll be okay in the summer, a bit more difficult. I think we might not have to pay as much because of the global financial price crisis. I think the the inflation in the markets for football is finally the ball is finally gonna burst a bit this summer. Like, I don't like Messi doesn't cost like he's not gonna cost like 150 million. It's almost like Barcelona should have just let him go because like right now- That would have been a way got- to save money if he's on what, what they say, 500 grand a week or something crazy like yeah, that. Just let him go, like you should have let Cutting him go. Cutting that is gonna save you so much money right there. So much money. <laughs> and to be honest with you, like, I mean, their former presidents are literally getting arrested and stuff like that. So <laughs> who knows? They, like Barcelona needs to be very, very careful I'm sure there's a lot of drama there, but uh, they they could have they could lose points. They could be docked tons of points and things like that. And and we've seen clubs. I mean, like the nightmare situation almost happened to us. If FSG hadn't helped us out, we would have been screwed. We we could have very well gone into administration, had to claw our way back up again, like Rangers. That was a very very real fear. Thanks to Hicks and Gillette, who really did one over Liverpool. They tried to to use them as their own bank account and siphon all the money to like. Uh, offshore accounts and they were like yeah. shady but liverpool fans track planes we track planes you don't think <laughs> yes. we're gonna track your offshore accounts you don't think we're gonna get into your books no liverpool fans are like obsessive in that like oh. beautiful poetic kind of way that we all love um but yeah it's an absolutely nuts and we we just try to do the best we can it's really really hard for people because Liverpool is their life support in the club, like is their life. It's it's what they do every weekend, it's what they do during the week. There's so much stuff that people do within the community. Like that's one of the reasons why I love the Anfield Rap. They're very, very much involved in the, the community there, tons of initiatives, and people really can't do any of it right now. And it's been like really devastating um all around. It's been it's been devastating all around and even for me I kind of stuck over in the Netherlands and like we played Ajax the first time since 1966 and and I couldn't go you know what I mean like just like things like that like obviously we won the league I'm really close couldn't go like uh I think 
the U.S. women's national team played the Netherlands in a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final again, couldn't go. So I'm, I'm right there with people like uh, devastated. I'm not like living this like glamorous life over here. I'm basically like living like a student life, like chilled out, like <laughs> over here. People, yeah. Europe's not that expensive if you live here. It's not expensive when you go in the height of tourist season and have to pay for hotels. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like funny when we talk about like all the financial stuff, uh, because obviously there is a huge impact up from that coming from the financial impact of COVID-19. People don't want to talk about administration, financial fair play. They just want to see football players make brilliant stuff happen. Like that's what people really want to see. But yeah, it is really good uh, to remember that all those things do have an impact. And you kind of have a unique perspective on that because you've been involved with a number of different footballing organization so not just being a local Liverpool fan down where you live but you've been working with the American Outlaws who back the U.S. national teams Los Verdes for Austin FC and then of course with the Anfield Wrap uh, for Liverpool so there's a number of different perspectives that you have in this but I, I, I do want to kind of specifically ask your perspective as a black woman in what is a space that is mostly going to be white guys in, in like a lot of these spaces. I mean, how have you kind of absorbed just all of your different roles and all of the different opportunities you've come to? Like, how has that kind of gone for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I was kind of lucky. I kind of grew up like somewhere where I was very often one of the only black kids, like, and that was really difficult, but I kind of like learned to like adapt. So I, I, I stopped being intimidated by going in a room and I'm the only black face. You know what I mean? If that, that wasn't as scary to me. Um, yeah, I don't know what my mom was thinking, but she used to just drop me off at this Irish club and be like, all right, honey. But basically that was basically my experience at school. Okay, I'm just going with a bunch of white people like, all right, see you, you'll be fine. Have a good day. But uh, like, I think I got lucky because when I started watching, it was mostly expats, mostly Irish and you know uh, English people and people from overseas. And, and I think the racism is a lot less intense and that kind of like the people, so I, I've been to almost 40 countries and like um, what I've noticed is like racism abroad is, is less racism, more just curiosity. Like people see me as just like a black person. Like they don't see me as like a threat. So like they'll look at you and they'll be curious, but they won't look at they you don't and have like their grab their purse. Like who you yeah, are, what you are. Ex exactly. Right. Like, and, and I feel like in the states, like you know, you like I still would sometimes would go walk in a grocery store in my hometown and people like look and then pretend not to look and like you can see they're a little bit uncomfortable and, and I hate that. You know what I mean? Like it, that's frustrating. But I didn't experience that in Asia. I didn't experience that here in the Netherlands. I didn't experience that in the UK. Um, people like you, you, they're curious sometimes, but like, it's not like they're not, they don't think you're going to rob them, steal them, ruin your schools if you live there, that type of stuff. And, and so that was quite, uh, kind of nice, but, um, I've had some really negative experiences. Like I used to be in a Liverpool sports club in Connecticut, which I will not name, um, but Connecticut's a pretty small state. Um, and I was basically, I was there before their, their club even started. Um, and I was kind of there every step of the way. And like when it was mostly expats and mostly people from like Ireland and England and around Europe, and it was fine because New Haven is a very, like, a, I'm sorry, it's a student, I gave it away there, but it's a very big student city. Um, and so there's a lot, it's very transient. So there's a lot of people from all over the place, but like we went through like a bar change, like, you know, management changes at bars and people would start going to watch different places and stuff. And as soon as like, it was almost like 100% American guys, things got really weird for me. They were not happy that I was coming in, selling through that. They 
didn't really think belonged in that Irish space. First of all, the Irish community in New Haven was awesome and I love them and, and, and those are my people, but the Liverpool supporters, like, I didn't like, and, and they were like very, very against me coming in and, and having like a huge reference. Like my first game I went to when I was 19 years old and I went to Liverpool, Real Madrid, like by myself in, in Europe, which is like crazy. Some people, I don't know what they want to do. They wanted to go to music festivals or concerts. And I was like, I'm going to my first Liverpool game. That's what I really wanted to <laughs> So I did it and it was nuts. But I like have that experience of actually going and singing the songs and bouncing up and down and what the atmosphere is like. And nothing can can prepare you. Nothing can prepare you. Maybe now more because MLS is getting a little bit better with the support, especially in the last five or six years or so. But like nothing can prepare you for like how crazy a Liverpool away is in Europe. <laughs> a Liverpool away day in Europe. It's like there's no nothing can prepare you for that. So like. A lot of the guys I would come into and they, they just didn't want to listen to anything I had to say. They, they didn't really, they didn't agree with, like, I wanted to sing in the pub. That was like a big thing for me. I was like, I want to sing in the pub. And they're like, they were like, no. And I was like, why not? Like so much about Liverpool's history is like, we have so many songs. And, That's like, the you, point you know, of getting together with people and watching. You, right? Like I don't want to <laughs> sing. And they were so against it. They were against it for years. And it's like, yeah, 20 white guys to like one black girl. And it was very easy for them to gang up on me. My And the biggest thing for me is like, racism fucking happens. Excuse my language. I don't know if this is a kid's program. You can delete that if you want. But racism fucking happens, okay? You guess what? If you're racist, you can still be president. That's what I learned in the last four years, okay? Apparently like nobody cares. But like, if you if you want to sit there and be like, oh, I'm not racist, that whatever, you have to be at least willing to have the conversation. I think the, the most offensive thing for me was that they weren't even willing to have the conversation to down me and be like, why are you offended? Are we doing something? Do you think that like, we should stop? But it was like overt racism, like rigged an election against me, like straight up rigged it. Um, just like, again, like uh, when we were trying to organize a club to become official, they were like trying not to involve me, like all sorts of like really just shady low ball. And, and you know, Connecticut, it's very country club racist, right? Nobody's gonna drop the N-bob on you. Although I thought I, I had a few lip quivers a few times, cause you know, but uh, <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody's gonna really drop that. They're just gonna like be shady to you in every single kind of way. Basically I've always been in the corporate racism workplace uh, growing, growing up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like, yeah, it was, it was really difficult. And, and I think it was really hard because like th there, I recruited some black members. There were some black members that showed up that I had brought. And I feel like that, like, um, especially like for black men, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like, again, you're in this group and like 20 people are telling you that this one person is wrong. And like, who are you going to believe? And like, let's like, we can't pretend like there's not uh, issues within our own community about things like that. But also like, um, you know, it goes on long enough and, it, and it's just like, maybe they don't want to be like ostracized like I was, you know what I mean? So like, uh, maybe that was part of it too. Like, I don't want to end up like this if I back this person, is everybody going to hate me all of a sudden, that type of thing. But it was really hard. It was really terrible. Like I was, yeah, I was in commercials for US soccer and I was going all, like we're talking about guys who had never seen professional game live before only seen a friendly like we're talking about people like who'd never seen a friendly like only seen friendlies like they don't really go to u.s games they don't really watch professional soccer but but because they played like in high school they played like division three college soccer in 2001 they were like you're not allowed to have an opinion and it was just like i i don't i don't it was so hurtful i cried a lot it was really hard for me because i loved it and i kept going back and i kept putting myself in an abusive environment uh but i'm so glad i got out of it i you know i spent a lot of time with mic cop fights 
at Carriger's in the boot room, and they're really awesome. LFC Austin had a great time with them. I've met a lot of very cool people from other Liverpool storage groups. LFC Boston is really cool. Um, yeah, Tampa, Texas. Um, I've got some friends on the West Coast. Like, And then, of course, going to Liverpool and seeing how people are in Liverpool and seeing how welcoming, how welcoming people are. In how Liverpool. inclusive it all is. How inclusive. Like, yeah. I used to hate, they would do things where, like, someone new would come watch and they wouldn't speak to them. Like, there was one guy, I'd like, you know, Paul, if you're out there, I absolutely love you, man. There's, like, one like, yeah, one guy, he came in, and, like, again, this group of dudes, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to new people. Like, they wanted to treat it like it was a fraternity or something like that. And I was like, that's not the ideology that, like, football, especially Liverpool, has. It's the working man's sport. It's not, there's not that sort of, like, everybody has to think the same thing and act the same way, and that's how you become one of us. And there's this rigidity of, like, you know, class and stuff. Football is an escape for that. That That's, like, an escape from all of that. So it's not really like that. Um, I just remember this one guy came in, and, I, and again, I went out of my way. Like, if you came into New Haven to watch a game, I was there. You probably met me for, like, 10 years, literally 10, 11 years. I was there shaking hands, making everybody feel welcome, buying everybody drinks, wanting to sing songs, talk to them, chat with them, make them feel like they were part of the group right and uh there's one guy came in nobody else will speak to him i finally sat down and have a conversation with him yeah liverpool season ticket holder you know was at was at hillsborough like went through all these hard moments of the club and supporting it all his life and i'm thinking to myself i was like wow none of these people even said hello to you did they but then like i start talking to them eventually the people start picking up on the accent then all of a sudden a few people get interested but i'm like it shouldn't you shouldn't have it shouldn't have it shouldn't take all that, that. No. And, and, and so like, yeah, I, I really, wow. I hated those guys and, and I still have beef and there's some people who in that club who are really cool, but there's some people who like really just went out of their way to make my life hell. And like, all I really wanted to have is a conversation and be like, listen, you guys are trying to be de facto leaders of this group, which is hundred percent fine. There's a lot of guys here that look up to you. Right. So like, you need to take a hard stance because yeah, as a person of color, as a woman in a pretty much all male environment, you kind of have to stand up and say, like, this is Imani. She's one of us. She's cool. Don't talk about her. Yeah. And, that's and, all that's got to be said. Yeah, I, I do. I do appreciate all the efforts that football and, and, and people throughout football are, are trying, where you see the kick it out campaign and no room for racism over in the Premier League. Uh, women's national team and women's football really in general have been very supportive of Black Lives Matter. Megan Rapino, she was on board with Colin Kaepernick basically from day one. You've seen players like Crystal Dunn, Midge Purse, Lynn Williams, and yeah. others using their voice. But, I mean, I, it, it kind of has come up now with the women's national team deciding they're no longer going to kneel. Um, we've heard Wilfred Zaha in the Premier League say that he looks at it and it's just, it, it doesn't necessarily have the meaning behind it as when it started. So when you look at it, I mean, do you do you see these efforts? Do you think they're working or do you think, they need more behind it. I mean, what's kind of your view on it? It's a tough one. I mean, we're not going to kneel for five years, are we? Like, eventually it is going to end. But, like, what what was crazy to me, especially being in Europe, was how quickly the Premier League adapted kneeling. Because remember, this is the second time around with the kneeling thing. For a while, it was like a national debate. Mm -hmm. If you said you were okay with kneeling, people would, like, shun you and they would judge you as a person. Meanwhile, kneeling is actually a sign of respect for the flag. Like, right? mm -hmm. that's it's more respectful than sitting down. It was, it was created with Kaepernick and a veteran, right? So like in the UK, they adopted it very quickly. Jordan Henderson was really behind it. I kind of love what Jordan Henderson did. He reached out to a lot of like prominent black family players. And it's like, what do you need from us? I'm here for you, which is like huge. Like for me, I was always kind of like, 
I was always a fan of Jordan Henderson's character. It took me a while to like warm to him as a player. I think, I think maybe like 2017, 2018, I finally was like, he's okay. He's you're you're not alone. Now. You're not alone in that. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, but I was like, he's reached a level that he can actually captain it and play for Liverpool at the highest level. Like 2017 was like, he's, he's here now. Um, but as a leader, I like gained so much respect for him over the last years because the way he supported Trent Alexander-Arnold and his, his England teammate and former Liverpool teammate Raheem Sterling and how he's come as, as a white man and said, like, what do I need to do? I'm going to use my voice because like, hey, listen, if, black, if, if, if people listen to black people about racism, there wouldn't be any racism. So it's up to like white people or Asian people or whatever to like go talk to each other about racism. Because again, if, if people listen to black people about racism, there would be no racism, okay? So you need, like, you need white people to talk to their white friends and be like, hey, chill, because they're just gonna listen to each other more. That's just, that's just the way it works. You're gonna, you're, like, whether it's a movie recommendation, right? What did your friends think? Do you, are you really paying attention to freaking Rotten Tomatoes? No, okay? You're, you're asking your buddy, your buddy tells you this show's really good. You know, your, your buddy tells you like, you know, yeah, did you see what happened on Sports Center the other night? Or like, you gotta watch this, you gotta watch that. Now they're saying, hey, you know what? Sucks, racism sucks. You know why? This is why. And people kind of listen the same way. So it's the same thing with that. Um, but yeah, I think um, in the US, US soccer has got to do a lot better. US soccer has been like scrambling. They've been scrambling. They just, uh, one of their members just got kicked out. I forget this guy's name, Paralympic player, basically got up during like, I think their general membership thing and just went on this like huge racist full of like black people commit more crimes and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff that we, we just know was racist, right? Yeah. And so like, he the went dog through whistle all that. was very loud. Oh my gosh. It was like, wow, I can't believe people are actually saying this in 2021 now. So like it just happened, but it's taken U.S. soccer like a long time to kind of reconcile with that. Like, um, and so it's better late than never, even for AO, we've been pushing for it for a long time. And I think that like AO does better, like AO, I've had a great experience with AO. I have an amazing experience with American Outlaws. I think it's the best U.S. soccer supporters group like in the country. And, and I love AO Tampa. So big shout out to anyone from AO Tampa, because I love you guys. Like they're my family. Every time mm -hmm. I go to Tampa, it's a great time. I genuinely love love the people in AO Tampa and I've had a wonderful very inclusive experience with that but I know maybe it's not the same a lot of other different places like and again I travel for U.S. soccer it's a huge huge hobby of mine in the, the normal life when we're not dealing with COVID um, pretty much going to almost every game that I can no matter where it is in the world um, but yeah it's it's so difficult because you have to have a lot of painful conversations. You have to be candidly honest and you have to be willing to listen. Like, yeah, Kelly O'Hara, I'm still mad. She, did, she, didn't, she didn't kneel in the summer. You know what I mean? Like her teammate is, I'll never forget. I will never forget an image of like Kelly O'Hara that's just standing there while her black teammate like just cries hmm. just sobs right there. And I'll never forget that. And, and those are the moments like, listen, is it gonna hurt you to kneel? No. Okay. Is it going to cost you anything personally? No. Is it going to help uplift someone else? Absolutely. Because it's Black Lives Matter. It's not other people's lives don't matter. Like that's not, that's not what it's saying. It's like our lives matter too. Um, and like not everybody had a lot of people they could look up to growing up and not a lot of people could see themselves in the game. Like, you know, I had Brunus Curry and that was it. You know what I mean? Like I, I want, I played goalkeeper all the time after that, but you know, <laughs> like, but it was, it's really hard for a lot of players. And I, even like, 
I feel like Crystal Dunn's journey to like discover her kind of blackness and what it means to be black and playing soccer because she, she was someone who said like yeah I was basically not the only black girl on my team for so long mm-hmm. um I think like being like okay and assertive with her blackness because like I always joked like I was really popular uh until especially like until I started talking about racism and then I became very unpopular very quickly. Everybody, literally everybody loved me. And then I started being like, listen, like there are some things happening here that I feel like we should take care of and nobody acknowledged it on my end. And I just got very unpopular. And I feel like that's, it's just a trend of if you acknowledge racism, all of a sudden you become like an enemy in America at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's changing a lot. And I think U.S. soccer has done a lot to like, uh, impact is huge. They've made a huge contribution to like building goals and building urban pitches and things like that, making the game more accessible. I think U.S. soccer scouting network needs to be going to those Sunday flea market pickup games a little bit more, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like what are we doing? Why is it so expensive? I mean, youth sports is a $15 billion industry in the United States of America, $15 billion, right? But it's not crazy if you think, if you invest twenty-five dollars to $30,000, if you have the money, right? Let's say you're mm-hmm. upper middle class because that's upper middle class money. That's not even retrieval money. That's upper middle class money, people, okay? If you have $30,000 a year to invest in your kids' athletics, right? But you're saving yourself $50,000 a year in tuition, right? That, that, you're up a lot of money at the end of that. You know, if you went to the casino, you'd be happy. And if you did your over-unders and came out with that, you'd be like, okay, this is pretty good after four years. So... <laughs> It's just, it's just really rough, but I, I think it's getting a little bit better. I just say people just be open and willing to learn and not everybody's like out to get you just because somebody wants to talk about racism or say like, Hey, like something that you did, like it kind of hurt for this reason. Just be open. I think yeah. the biggest insult for me has always been um, when people like don't trust you to have a conversation because that's racist in itself if you don't mm-hmm. think that a black person can have a civil conversation with you about racism then like you might have to reassess whether or not you might have a little bit more bias than you, you kind of are think you do or throwing out in the world sorry if i sound a little bit like weird this is this is always like a, a tough conversation to have especially this year but yeah it's been crazy for me experiencing so much racism at this one liverpool sports group to the point where they like they were really nice to black people after me because that's the best way to kind of hide racism is to like yeah. get your token in there. You know what I mean? Like if they've got to be like, all right, we've got three black guys now, whatever she says, we can say, okay, like, don't worry. Um, so going to Liverpool and having everybody be so welcoming, feeling super safe in Liverpool, feeling super safe in London, that type of thing. Then going to places like LFC Austin, where I felt really, really welcome there. And Austin is a South, so it's just like I felt really, really welcome there. Uh, I mean, going to watch games in Bangkok, being welcomed over there. Uh, even Spain. I feel like one of the most racist places I've ever been is Madrid. Uh, a little bit that. of leftover from Franco. Yeah, I've, I've had like an, a classic, like I got on the train and this old lady was sitting across me and she held her nose and I just laughed. I just like died. I was wow. like, man, that's like 1950s <laughs> races. I was like, that's like some good old school. I was like, wow. And I just laughed. And this poor girl standing next to me, she saw what was going on and she's just like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, don't be, she's old, but like, I I uh, I was like that's a riot to me because I was like wow that's just blatant you don't even see that every day anymore lady it was a classic but um I had a great time with the Liverpool sports group there as well but as long as we keep improving keeping ourselves open to the conversations mm-hmm. working on solutions and as somebody who's not a person of color please stick up to you for your friends or people of color and be preemptive right 
you, it's not enough to stay silent. If you're being silent, you're being complicit, right? Like it, they say during Nazi Germany, 20% of people were Nazis, 20% of people were the resistance and 60% of people stayed silent. And the, the silent voices, the ones that allowed everybody else to get killed. And, and it's the same kind of thing with racism. You have to take a stand, you have to butt it out. And, and, and I feel like Liverpool has done a really good job dealing with racism in the stands. The few racist incidents that are happening now, people are literally like, if you say something racist in a, at a Liverpool match, 20 people around you are going to turn at you and just yell at you and tell you, put you in your place. Just like nobody makes fun of, um, oh, I'm having a brain fart right now. It's um, Munich, right? If you yeah. if you start doing airplane stuff and start talking about Munich at Liverpool games now, 20 people look at you and they're like, absolutely, absolutely not. not. Yeah. No way. Like that's just not who we are. That's just not who we are as a group. It's not who we are as supporters. Same thing if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna go try to smash up a cafe and Liverpool supporters, like the team here where I am, like there's a viral video over the summer where like there was some brawl in the streets, like over mm. football, right? Just classic like European ultra hooliganism stuff. That doesn't fly, that doesn't fly at Liverpool games because they will not allow it. So like, it's the same kind of thing like with racism. Can we adopt that kind of attitude here of like, not on my watch, this isn't happening here. And if someone's worried about something happening, just listen to them first. Don't, don't, don't assume that they're wrong. And the hardest thing to do is stick up to your friends and be like, hey, like we can do better here. Like, come on now. Like if you're in a group, it should be like welcoming to everybody. Um, but, but yeah, that's the biggest thing for me um, in the future. And I hope like a lot of good conversations have happened this year. Again, sorry for talking so much. No, no, but, um, <laughs> but no. And one thing I kind of want to stick on, um, just mentioning how difficult it is, obviously for anyone who's not educated on, you know, what it means to be black, not just here in the US, but across the pond as well and throughout the diaspora across the world. Like, yeah, if you're white, it's going to be tough to have those conversations. But I do think it's also important that they kind of understand it's not exactly easy being on the other side of it either, where we go in with all the knowledge and then we're going to go into a conversation where we understand you have no clue what we're talking about a lot of times. So so I do kind of want to like ask you just about that. Like, how do you handle that? Because I, I myself find it difficult to have a conversation where I am the black viewpoint and it's like, I can't be a representative for all black so much people. Pressure. There's yeah, no way like, I could do that. So, 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 so how, do you, how do you personally handle that? Well, I've had a lot of practice, like a lot of practice. I mean, I hung out for years in Irish pubs, like years organizing soccer stuff. So just be like me. And I'd often be the, I, I, I've had people, I had somebody tell me like African-Americans don't exist. Like I've had people like the civil war, talk about the civil war and be like, yeah, we had to fight your war for you too. And I'm like, just like, just really crappy, like, like crazy, crazy stuff. And I've had to just sit there and just stay calm and just back it up, you know, talk about redlining, talk about the Tuskegee experiment, talk about like black contributions to technology. Cause people say, well, what has any other race ever done? I'm like astrology, gunpowder, paper, like, you know, modern mathematics, modern medicine, that's all from Asia, homie. Like, just like things like that. Talk about like, you know, uh, cultural dynamics. But for me, the biggest thing is like, if you can put it in a, in a way that it means something to them, it's huge, right? Yeah. So explaining racism in America to somebody from Liverpool, I kind of always say like, yeah, it's kind of like how people take scouse bias. They, they kind of have this bias against scouses and they, and they kind of use that in their everyday life to put people down. It's the same kind of thing. Um, how do I explain like you talk about like fiefdom and things like that because there was a point in Europe where people were all butt slaves they had very very little rights but we're talking about a thousand freaking years ago this isn't happening yesterday this is like 
15 generations back or something ridiculous like that. This is not recent history. But if you're talking to somebody from Europe, it kind of makes sense because it is part of their history. It's one of the reasons that they value freedom so much now, especially in Western Europe. Um, you talk about like Irish immigration. I talk about how difficult that was at the same time, like, you know, you could change, you could change your last name. You know what I mean? If you're Jewish, you could hide. If you ever talk to somebody Jewish and you're like, can you even imagine what Judaism would be like if Jewish people didn't have the ability to hide? And, the, and usually they were like, wow, I've never even really thought of that because so much of the religion is, is based on like having to be underground for significant parts mm -hmm. of it. Um, and like, yeah, if, if you're white, people can't tell what you are, where you're from, from a long way away. But if you're black, people, people can see your color before they can see anything else about you uh, from like 300 yards. So it's, um, it's pretty tough for me. I always just kind of like have an open heart. I don't get mad at people because they don't understand. I try to be very, very, very patient with people. Like, cause a lot of people they're, they're not used to having these conversations and, and it's not what you learn in a classroom. I was very lucky. My parents were like in like the black power movement in New York in like the eighties. And so my name is Imani, which means faith. It's the last day of Kwanzaa. We don't celebrate Kwanzaa. But Imani is January 1st. So if you ever have a hangover on January 1st, uh, Imani is going to take care of you that day because it's my day. It means faith. Um, but literally, I was brought up with a lot of Black literature and like a lot of like, you know, um, influential Black leaders. And I was very, very lucky to kind of learn about things. I also really love politics. I really love urban planning and design. So like learning about redlining and things like that, like not getting our GI Bill, like Black people didn't get their mm -hmm. GI Bill, which is a big one because it like literally the GI Bill like- freed. It reinvigorated the whole 20th century oh, right after yeah. the Great Depression. Everyone needed it. In a huge it. way. Yes. In a huge, huge way. I think Bright Verde podcast, which is the Los Verdes Austin FC podcast, we also did an episode where Black Lives Matter, and I talk a lot about that, talk a lot about the Civil War. So if anybody's interested in those conversations, how to broach those conversations, that's like a widely Southern, Southern audience. So uh, yeah, Los Verdes uh, podcast. And uh, again, I think if you like Google my name or something like that, it should it should come up. But that's a, a much deeper conversation. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll get the link in here as well for it. Yeah, yeah, just keep an open mind, keep an open heart, allow people to make mistakes. And again, like, I, and I, for, for people that are white, don't be super scared of having the conversation. Just like, try not to come in with preconceived notions like um, that are that are untrue. There's a lot of falsehoods that are being uh, manipulated as truth out there. And um, if, if someone says something that you don't agree with or haven't heard, try not to assume that it's wrong. Just kind of like, take it for what it is and get more information yourself if you need to. But um, yeah, just stay open, keep an open mind, have an open heart. Yeah, well, Monty, I feel like we could chat all day for me, all night for you as you know, we're six hours uh, difference with you being in Amsterdam. I, I do have a couple more things to get you out on. So I think uh, anyone who knows me because I went to Ohio State, which is obviously in Columbus, Ohio, Columbus crew. <laughs> there's a little bit of an intersection here. Uh, I think people would be mad if I didn't at least ask from your perspective, because okay. the whole save the crew thing, the reason why that had to happen <laughs> was because, well, the crew were considering going to Austin, Texas, and yeah. uh, that would have been the professional uh, soccer team for you guys. But you got your expansion team now. But um, what was that experience like kind of uh you know for for everyone who's there being on the other side of that where um for lack of a better term y'all and texas and, and austin kind of had to be the villains on that one even though as a yeah. fan, you have no control 
it's tough. And I'm like, I'm a transplant down there. Right. So like, I'm, I'm kind of new to Austin. Austin's going through this monumental change. You've got tech bros and cowboys. It's literally <laughs> like, it's going to be like cyberpunk soon tech bros and cowboys. That's just what it is. And like, so people were like, Oh, they're like, Oh, we don't want any more Californians and, th- and things like that. So you'll hear that a little bit in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. But to be fair, like some people want like a rivalry with the crew, the crew. They really like want to like make it like a thing. And I'm like, no, well, we didn't earn that rivalry. You're trying to come after like, you know, MLS champs, you're trying to come after inaugural MLS team because, because of the ownership, that's not how real rivalries are made. I mean, you, you might not, we might not like, like the crew as much, but some people really want to play it up. And again, like, I think most people trying to do that are people that don't go to a lot of matches, have never really been to a lot of live games and kind of don't really understand kind of the culture a little bit. Uh, Cause a rivalry like a Darby is like a big, a big deal. And, and she, you know, not for nothing, there's enough teams in Texas that, that it can get pretty intense without having to include the crew. I have nothing but respect for Columbus. I'm a huge US soccer fan, huge American Outlaws fan. I've had some amazing doses zeros in in uh cbus mm-hmm. which i've really enjoyed some of the most memorable football moments of my life soccer moments of my life those epic epic doceros um but i absolutely love it Los fair days for austin fc they're like a really really quality supporters group really really good people um they really want to do things the right way um i feel like you'll see less crap coming out of them and to be honest with you anybody who's taking it too far with crew we've already put them down now there's other supporters groups out there that maybe they're not kind of like um being more influential with their membership with regard to like you know you don't personally attack people and things like that like some people have suffered like personal attacks and stuff and we we don't let that fly that's like not okay that's not cool it's not part of the game you don't attack people personally for a football opinion that's just that's just do now it's just not done um just anywhere you go like that's just not part of the game and we, we won't allow it um and how cool is that with the new club with austin fc you guys kind of get to write your own culture like you get to create your own new like there's no template for you to go off of. Like you guys get to create whatever you want it to be. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. And we're trying to have as much fun as we, we can. Like, you know, UT is there. So like UT, they got like a hundred thousand seat stadium, something ridiculous like mm-hmm. that. Um, basically they pay practically own like half the city and, and, and Texas is very much about Texas, mm-hmm. but um, UT in itself, it is classist because like, you know, to really, you have to go there, right. You have to go there to really be part of the alumni network and the business network and everything like that. So there is a lot of people that are immediately locked out of that. Like it's not a safe space, hundred percent for LGBTQ people. Like, you know, again, like we're talking about like, you know, football, like essays, like not SEC football, but like football in the South, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like, it's not like somewhere where you like, we're going to wave the game flag flag. That wasn't going to happen 20 years ago. <laughs> like, It's just not, it wasn't going to happen 20 years ago. So we we're kind of like making room in Austin for everyone else as well to like feel comfortable. Um, I know like Los Verdes is, is meant to be like a reach out to the Hispanic community. So our communications are bilingual. Um, we're trying to reach out more with the East Austin community. East Austin is mostly black. So we're trying to reach out to them and make sure everybody feels comfortable realizes that Austin FC is their team. Okay. Cause again, like if you don't go to UT, you're not an alumni. People who were like, if you support UT, but like, you don't really like, you never went to the university. People are always going to look down at people always look down at people like that. You could be at Columbus. It's kind of like the same thing. Oh, it's people the same like, thing with Ohio State. It's like, Oh, you're a yeah. local. You didn't go to Ohio state so yeah people uh, always are kind of like looking down on people but um also FC is a team for everybody i think it's really really exciting um i think we have a lot more resources than most new franchises do or new mls franchises like I'm, i always say that football clubs are clubs and we treat it like a club but she's the language talking about mls um 
but yeah, like we want to build a community. We're going to have Tifa. We're going to have Pyro. That's we're going to be nice. going up and down. We're going to go nuts. Um, it, it's difficult because we've lost this entire year in terms of like getting to know people and, and being able to throw like huge events. Like we've got the murder going, but it's socially distanced and you're going to be on, you're on and on with people. You're bouncing, you're, you're swaying up and down. You're doing the shalalas and stuff. You want, you want to get to know them. And like, even like seeing people's faces and, and who to look to for like starting the songs and like those because I was like I tried to tell them because uh being in AO and uh doing so much stuff with U.S. soccer over the years and really like helping grow the game like I was in AO Hartford for a long time I founded AO New Havens so I was uh vice president and then president of that chapter for a little while and um literally teaching people how to sing teaching people how to have, have a good time in the soccer game like all that kind of stuff um there's a lot of trust involved there's a lot of trust. You got you you got to get people to want to spend their weekend with you, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big responsibility, right? There's a lot of shit you can do the weekend. You want to spend That's a, a weekend with us. to get people to commit to yeah. that. Absolutely. <laughs> so much, and so we've lost this kind of crucial year to kind of do all that. So that's been really difficult. Um, but I think we're making up for it. It's just it's just tough. Like our opening day is still a long ways away. They could always delay it again. You never know. Um, but we're gonna open this in the stadium. We don't know how many fans are actually gonna be there. Um, it's just pretty, pretty difficult, but I'm excited. I know that it's going to be awesome. And if you want to visit, if there's a place you want to go visit, hopefully the Tampa Bay Rowdies get an open cup game versus us. That'd be really fun. Mm. I love, love the Rowdy supporters. They're freaking awesome. Uh, and if they ever got an open cup game, it's a great place to come eat, come chill. Uh, as long as it's not snowing, uh, hopefully, <laughs> like, like Austin's pretty fun. I'm sure a guy from Columbus is like everybody from like anywhere in the Northeast, and even people, people in the Netherlands were stopping me about like, oh, what's going on in Texas? Aren't you going right. back there? Like, what's up? Like, it was like really, it was so, it was a little bit embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. When the lady at the market who's handing me my chicken is like, Austin, oh God, I heard that was bad. We heard things Dude. about you guys in Texas. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm far away. <laughs> it was like a big deal, but uh, much love to everybody for Austin FC and much love to Tampa Bay Rowdies and everybody in Tampa because I absolutely love everyone down there. So such a great time. I appreciate your time so much today, Amani. Let's go ahead and end on something positive with the vaccine getting rolled out here in the US and England as well across the world. We're looking at a real possibility of fans being back in the grounds in England for the end of the season and then possibly for the start of the next season, being something a little bit more like what we're used to, of course, here in the U.S. as well for MLS. How much are you looking forward to fans being back in the grounds in football? I'm hugely looking forward to it. I can't wait. I think the world, like, needs it. You know what I mean? If we can do it safely. I, I think people just miss human interaction. I think people miss, like, supporting football, supporting soccer. It's like a huge let off of energy. It's an excuse to just be happy and positive no matter what's going on in your life. Soccer is an amazing reason to feel happy. And I think that's something that everybody could really use right now. So with Liverpool, which has been going through a tough time, really heavily hit by COVID, if they can only get back there, support the team, tell them how much we love them. Same thing for Austin. I'm sure Tampa's the same way. Like, we just want to get back in the ground all together, right? We want to have the atmosphere the way it was. And the sooner we can get back that way, the better, I think. For most people, we're just really excited, and, and I and I can't wait. Really, it's it's so uplifting. We need that. We need that spirit. You need that camaraderie. We need that sense of togetherness. Like you know, life can sound seem crazy if all you do is watch the news all day. You actually have to go out there, talk to people, experience cultures, and then you find out what what life really is. And for me, that's super important. I think football is an amazing way to do that. So love soccer. Can't wait to get back to the atmosphere the way it's meant to be. 
That's Amani Williams, Los Verdes, American Outlaws, and Anfield Rep for Liverpool. You have been a wonderful guest today. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. See you, Amani. I'll see you guys next time. See ya.